You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Welcome back everyone to episode 28 of Arsenal Pass. I'm Hayden Dow, joined by now two-time coin top editor, Brennan Patrick. Brennan, it's nice to have you on today. How are you doing? You still, uh, still buzzing over that top eight? Uh, buzzing isn't the word I would use, but uh, it's nice to get a PTI, nice to get a gold foil, and nice to get another chance to win it again next weekend. It's true. Yep, Cincinnati came out this weekend. So uh, not one to rest is Brendan. He's going to run it back. Hopefully, you know. <laughs> um, but today today is all about, you know, you, Mr. Patrick. And as we talk, the calling Dallas, in which Brendan, you know, spoiler alert, ran his way through the gauntlet to make the top eight draft table. So during the week, I actually put a call out to Twitter to, you know, some of our listeners and followers on Twitter and, and ask for questions uh, during this episode where we talk all about Dallas you know, go through drafts, go through the sealed portion, uh, go through some big lessons and takeaways. And then, yeah, we're going to end with some some fantastic questions that have been sent through. So um, usually, Brennan, this is where we would, you know, talk about our weeks in flesh and blood, but we that's the focus of the whole pod. So why don't we just get straight into the news? Yep. So just want to say there's two gameplay videos going up this week, Briar versus Katsu and then Chain versus Reinar, which should be up either very soon after you hear this or right when you do. Um, check them out, Arsenal Pass YouTube channel. And then, obviously, more gameplay coming in the future. Mm-hmm. As I said, calling Cincinnati this week, you can tune into the coverage uh, if you'd like to. It's on CFB's Channel 5 Wars Twitch, uh, as it has been for Vegas and for Dallas. Uh, you can also go, if you didn't get a chance to check out the coverage from Dallas, you know, whether it be Swiss coverage, Day 2 coverage, Top 8 coverage, all the uh, games for the feature games are up on uh, Fab TCG's YouTube page now as well. So you can actually go back and watch those, which is quite nice. And they're all edited together nicely, so there's no dead air or anything like that. So you can go and check those out. Um, and just wanted to say as well, you know, congratulations to the, the whole top eight, including yourself, Brennan, and to Nam, who eventually took it out. Yep, it was a, a great event. And obviously, congratulations to the winner. It's a huge achievement to win a calling, especially as they, you know, they're getting so big compared to what we were used to a few years ago. Um, do you want to shout out time in the round? So... Last week's time of the round was Carol, and this week uh, we have another Legend Story Studios employee come on in the form of Sasha Markovic. So the first man to ever be living legend um, himself, uh, two-time calling champion, and just all-around greatest of all time. Um, it's a great conversation. Check it out. Do want to also note that time of the round is now making its way to all podcast platforms near you. It will be on a three-day delay, um, but you know it will no longer be only a YouTube exclusive. Yeah, all the all the backlogs up as well. So if you, you know, if there's episodes that maybe you you only checked out some on YouTube or you didn't get a chance to check it out because it was only on YouTube, now you can go and find that on on Spotify. It's on the same stream as the as the main platform, as the main pod, what you're listening to right now. Uh, so you can go and see those, and they're all up there now. With the latest, with um, Carol just went up, and then Sasha will go up. Yeah, three days after it drops on Saturday. Mm-hmm. I want to do a shout out to our almost two, over 250 patrons so far. So absolutely exploding on that end. So thank you so much for all the support. If you aren't familiar, we do have tons of extra content on our Patreon. Uh, most notably, if we have a deck tech on our still pass, the YouTube channel, we do throw up a ton of more content uh, regarding that deck on the Patreon, such as, you know, the uh, all the different sideboard guides, deck theory, you know, I mean, if I recall correctly, the Levio one was like nine pages long, as, as well as ratios, spreadsheets, everything you need to pick it up and start being competitive. Um, along with that, we also have exclusive podcasts for the Patreon and a live session every month. 
And finally, I do want to say that next week on YouTube, we will have a Viscerai deck going up. Um, it's a really cool deck. We've actually, I know we were actually planning on doing it a little bit earlier, but uh, I think we, you know, we might need to tune it a little bit more and make it a little bit stronger. I just want to make sure you guys have the best deck possible to pick up and start playing and start being competitive. And finally here, I do want to shout out that we are going to be starting a new segment. Um, it's going to be called Arsenal Pass, State of the Meta. Hayden will be joining me for the first one, but I will be your host. It'll be a weekly um, a weekly podcast, pretty freeform, 30 minutes to an hour. We're just going to break down everything that's going on in the Flesh and Blood Meta week by week, mostly focusing on classic construction, but obviously that'll switch if you know we come into a, bl a Blitz season um, or anything like that. So keep an eye out for that. And um, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, exactly. Sounds good. All right. Well, this week's kind of cookout is basically, you know, we're going to save that for the end with our Twitter questions. So what we're going to do first is we're just going to get into the main topic of the pod, uh, which is the calling and, of course, your top apron. And so we're going to get what we're going to do. It's actually funny. We're 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 re-recording this <laughs> in full. And that, you know what? The original episode was actually our best episode, um, but you can't hear that. So you just have to take my word for it. That was our best episode. So we're going to, you know go through a lot of things we've already talked about a lot of this so um brennan second time through i'm sure you can uh <laughs> smash it out in terms of you know some of the things that we make sure we want to cover but um all we're going to do is we're going to talk through the event itself so your you know your experience at the calling dallas friday saturday sunday um and we're going to talk through the swiss portion you know the decks that you had in in swiss and draft um how they ended up and then of course the top eight Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and start with Friday then. So we did all get in pretty early on Friday. Um, and our plan was to meet up with some of our friends and we were doing private eight man drafts. So just kind of training drafts, you know, into, you know, one into the other and repeating and so on. Um, so that was really helpful. Obviously, draft is just something you really kind of have to do in person. It's just hard to emulate online. So it was, uh, you know, it was a good thing to get in. Um, we ended up doing three of them. What we would do is we play like one to two rounds and just, you know, uh, scoop them up, go to the next one, just make sure we kept kind of repeating the process of actually drafting the cards and seeing what the decks kind of came out as. So in those, in those three, I did drafts prior the first time, um, Ulton the second time, and Lexi the third time. On the third time, I did force Lexi a bit. So while my deck was bad, I did one in my match, but I just knew that I needed to get some reps in on drafting Lexi because actually prior to going to the calling, which is actually kind of ironic in the uh, in the scope of what I ended up drafting in the um, top sixty four, top thirty four, uh, top thirty two, and top eight cut. I'd actually only drafted Briar. Uh, it just seemed that those are the cards that had come to me. I wasn't particularly keen on it, but if my history in Flesh and Blood Limited events had told me anything, it's that I tend to get to the you know um, the highest pressure scenarios and then draft the thing that I have never played before, which is exactly what I did at the last calling. Um, welcome to Wraith. I was in the top eight. Ninja at that time was thought to be you know borderline unplayable and limited, especially in sealed, which is hilarious looking back on it because it's absolutely not true. Um, and in the top eight, I go ahead and draft Ninja, a class I've never played <laughs> in limited ever. So I just knew I needed to get some reps on all of the heroes and just be comfortable to draft my seat and draft smart. Do you know what's funny is in, in my calling top eight in, here in Sydney, there was no Katsu drafters. Everyone passed up Katsu. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it, was that, it, was, it, it was that really, strong a belief. It was, really, it, was really <laughs> it was really, really slept on. It's funny because if I open up a seal pool, Welcome to Wraith, it's like Katsu is like the easiest one, I think, to actually play. Like you need the least things going for you. Um, yeah. So it, it's funny how that works out. So let's talk about the rest of Friday. We do have an early dinner. Um, we get we go to the steakhouse called Nick and Sam's. I've been there before. Obviously, I'm a local. I actually think it's like the best place in Dallas. Seven of us go. 
I always have like an incredible dinner and I take, uh, you know, all the guys over to this place called Akai. It's a speakeasy in the back of a sushi restaurant called Masume in Dallas. It's really cool. You like walk back in the back of the kitchen, um, you know, walking behind the restaurant. It's got this like old school, like samurai vibe. And it's like, uh, they got these like highball whiskeys. So uh, the guys were loving it up. We had a great night. And I remember Dante saying specifically, he's like, okay, if my trip ended right now, this weekend would still be worth it. So I think overall it was a successful night that I was able to curate for them. <laughs> um, it's funny hearing that. <laughs> and then, so I wanted to ask as well, just take a back a step about the the drafts on Friday. And obviously last minute um, getting in, already you as well as a lot of the players in that drafted, it drafted a fair bit now, but getting some last minute sort of drafting to you know make sure some of these ideas and some of these archetypes and things like that play out the way that you think they will. What were sort of some of the big takeaways from either yourself or or the other drafters in that group um, on the on the Friday? Like, did you break those drafts down? Did you talk about them? Were there certain things that people were trying? Obviously, you forced Lexi in the in the last draft, but you know, was there sort of things that you took into the weekend with more confidence? Or yeah, I definitely did get a lot of confidence, but it just reinforced my idea that in this format, you need to draft your seat and be willing to play any arch- archetype um, and play it well. I think that's more important than like literally anything because we'll talk about the sealed portion and you know how Briar plays into that, but that is just so not the case in draft. Um, and we'll, we would see a lot of players make it to top 64, top 32, and ultimately kind of stumble and fall because they weren't able to play outside of their comfort zone, whether that was one hero or two heroes. So um, it definitely just reinforced that idea that it's it's all about drafting your seat. It's drafting conservatively and just having, you know, the best average to good deck you can. If you have a great deck, that's fantastic. But what you don't want to have is a bad deck. Yeah. And and you're talking about drafts specifically then, right? Drafts specifically. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. It's pretty funny because I think um, one of the things that people have commented on and we've said before is you've seen draft decks often that are worse than people's sealed decks, right? So consistently <laughs> in this format. I mean, I think that most draft decks that I've played against and even the ones that I've drafted, I think it was more before this calling. I ended up getting some really good decks during this calling. Um, were definitely worse than a lot of the sealed pools that I'd had. Yeah, and if people are looking for a reason why that is, it's it comes down to like the three heroes, I think. So overall you're gonna get more cards that you could play in your sealed pool. And what's gonna happen in draft is you're probably gonna you could often people could sit between elements and while that's not the end of the world, you know, there's definitely dual element decks you can play. Sometimes those decks just end up being much, much worse if you're spread across or you're sat next to someone who ends up cutting you from an element that you committed to early or things like this. So, um, you yeah. know, I'm sure once we get to the draft, you're going to talk more about drafting your seat. More about- you did that yeah, it's more about elements um in that sense like you can't really high roll like the best element cards in the game in a draft like it's really like it can happen but it's super unlikely you're going to get like you know four weavers or like three red earth or surges like it can happen but people will pick those up especially for like early in the packs they'll be kind of staying open with yeah. those really strong um picks like but you can just sometimes you can just absolutely get a bonkers sealed pool and a lot of these element cards which are safe to pick early you can just get a ton of them and in draft like you're definitely fighting for them it seems yeah yeah exactly okay so friday friday comes around and goes get a few drafts under the belt get a steak under the belt get probably a whiskey or a highball in your belt and then <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then saturday rolls around so you know what's it like i first of all want to know what it's like heading into that venue on a saturday um well, how did it compare to vegas how what is it just in general, coming into a, a Vegas, uh, sorry, a, um, a calling event center, and what's the sort of you know general atmosphere and and how are people? Sure. So, I mean, a lot of people actually commented on this and kind of reinforced this idea. But the 
the um, the overall atmosphere and energy was a lot more laid back. I don't know if that's you know an excitement or anxiety kind of reason for that, but um, yeah, overall it felt a lot more comfortable, a lot more laid back. But same thing as you kind of would see with Vegas, like just kind of a sea of people, you know, on the main event side, um, and a big a big venue, of course. Um, so yeah, but I think that my initial takeaway is that it felt a lot more relaxed and just kind of like another day in the office, which might just be me getting more comfortable with big events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard to tell which is the general atmosphere of the room, which is just the way you feel on any given day, especially if you've got a group of people around you and how they kind of, uh, what are, what their feelings are as well. And because, you know, often mm-hmm. you can, if you're standing in a group of, you know, you're, you're with a group of people, group of friends, um, the sort of the vibe of that group or the, the feelings that are sort of um, emanating from that, that group can sort of be how you end up feeling, I think. Um, but I'm sure, you know, like you say, second um, the second calling now in the space of three weeks soon to be four in the side of a month. Um, I think that's, that, that makes a lot of sense. So obviously you sit down, grab your seal pool, talk us through it. Yeah. So I sit down, grab my seal pool. Unfortunately, I get uh, someone doesn't show up at our table, so I'm in something called a triple, uh, which for me is one of the situations that I hate to be in the most because um, Hayden will probably sooner mark here as he did the last time we recorded this, that he always has a plethora of time to finish his uh, registration and checking and stuff like that. When you're in a triple, it's a lot harder because you get the allotted time of two people opening packs, but for three. Um, and then maybe somebody doesn't have the dexterity to open the packs very quickly, which happened at our table, or they just haven't seen the cards a lot. So it's hard. It takes them a lot longer to register your pool. So we were really, we were really tight on time, um, which sucked. It was, it was honestly, it was terrible. I barely had enough time to check my thing, um, to check and verify that mine was correct, which if you're listening to this and you're playing ever at a professional event, check it. Because I know so many people that got dinged for having incorrect um, pools registered. And it's super easy. Uh, out of the four times, and we're talking one sealed, one in draft, I had two of them that had errors on them. So it's extremely common. So definitely check. But yeah, that, that was not my favorite way to start it. Obviously, then you get a bunch of time to like, you get, I had plenty of time to deck build. But uh, yeah, we were definitely strapped for time on the registration process. I do open my deck. Um, it kind of blows, to say the least. I get uh, five amulets, two pieces of armor, both being Cracker Jacks. And then the only playable class I have is Rune Blade. And um, I have some great non-attack actions, but I have about four red attack actions. So really, really bad on that one. Um, and like a lot of people see some of the non-attack actions I had, and they're like, oh yeah, those are like the ones you want, right? Like I had uh, four Bramble Sparks, which is really good. Um, I had, you know, three Electrifies. Like these are really, really good cards, by the way. These are like blue. They weren't red, mind you. But what this does is like if you're really light on attack actions in Briar, your deck has to not draw the four non-attack. Because if you draw the four non-attack and limited, you almost lose the game like every single time. It's ridiculous because it's so tempo-based. It's so explosive. Um like you just can't just pass your turn. <laughs> it's it's really bad. Uh, so my seal pool looked abysmal, but it was fine. All all that was going through my head was like, okay, I just have to really play myself out of Swiss, and then I get to the draft portion, and that's where I'll go ahead and you know excel. Yeah, yeah, and the I've actually just looking at your your draft deck, Brendan. I would just put up the picture. Um, my as, sealed deck or my draft deck? Sorry, your sealed deck. <laughs> as I did last time, and we will post the um, the sealed deck picture as well alongside this in the in the um, description. But it's like when I first looked at your seal pool, I was like, oh no, like this is this is good. And then I kind of dived in a little bit deeper, and it's like, oh, there's like good elements, definitely. Like on the surface, like you say, it looks really good, but you know, you're missing some red cards, things like that, um, some some strong attack actions. But you know, you you have a couple of good cards, and it it felt like it was a it was doable, right? Like it wasn't a complete train wreck. 
Um, honestly, when I was first looking at it, I thought it kind of looked like a train wreck. Like everything was just, everything was coming in for three or two and like, it was just rough. But what I did have was I had quite a bit of arcane damage and like pinging. Um, and I really like this at Briar, like, because, um, uh, like obviously there's like the explosive Briar that you're going to face down like 80% of the time that just kind of rolls you over at the most ridiculous cards. What I like to do is like be able to ping in arcane damage plus like an attack from four or something like that and just tempo the, um, um, the embodiment tokens and then outvalue my opponent on blocks. And obviously if, obviously if I have a lot of um, non-attack actions, I can block very efficiently with that. So when I was looking at this, I was like, yeah, this is, this looks like a train wreck. I was, <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't too happy with it, but I knew that I just knew that my deck had to draw well, like if it drew well, it was fine. If it drew the four non-attack, then I was, I was in a bad spot. Yep. So, uh, pool's finished. You've registered, um, I actually didn't say anything about the time thing. I, I do think that the... So if, for those who haven't done a limited um, event at, a, at something like a calling or an event where you need to register the deck, so any deck, any any event, I guess, we need to register it. So I guess a ProQuest, uh, a calling, whatever it might be, um, and I'm sure people do this in the future. You sit down alongside someone. This isn't your opponent. This is just someone who you've usually alphabetically or whatever you're sitting across from. And one, one side of the room is going to open their their pool. So say me and Brendan are sitting across from each other. Uh, the judge will say, okay, left-hand side of the room, put your hand up. Uh, Brendan will chuck his hand up. You're going to open your packs first. So you open your six packs. The other person, so me in this case, is there to verify what, what they open, right? Make sure there's no no funny business going on. So Brendan will open his, his packs, and then they'll ask, okay, has everyone open their packs now? All right. The other side of the room, put your hand up. Now you're going to open up your packs, and then it, Brendan will watch me open up my packs. And then those are my cards. So I've opened my cards. There's no feels bad. It's not like, you know, we're going to swap cards or anything. These cards that I've opened are now my cards. But we swap pools and Brennan's going to register that for me and I'm going to register his for him. Um, so in in theory, <laughs> um, they should be making sure there's enough time that everyone's opening their cards. But obviously I don't know what happened on the day. Um, my experience so far at ProQuest has been the judges have been pretty good about it. Um, you do then have, you know, about 20 minutes, I think, to, to register the pool. And if you've done it before, honestly, it'll probably take you 10 minutes um, once you've done it a couple of times. But then once you get your pull back, right? So once you swap back over after that 20 minutes, you have half an hour to build. But the start of that half an hour, and you don't get extra time for this, which is what you're talking about, right, Brennan, is you want to check check those cards. Make sure that the person across from you has registered them correctly because it's not on them after, after the deck build. It's on you if the cards don't match the sheet. So you want to make sure those are checked. And the, the, the thing to do, the nice thing to do, and the thing that most people do, and you're, uh, I think, generally told to do is to alphabetize within class and within category, the cards, so that when you pass that pull back after registering it, uh, it's going to be really easy for that person to check them off. Um, you know, I've, I think, Brendan, it sounds like you probably didn't get that. And I've had uh, events, I think the last calling I had, my, uh, my person sitting across from me who checked my pull didn't do that for me. Um, and it definitely yeah. did take up like a couple of my deck building minutes, which is like a bit frustrating, right? It's not about alphabet- alphabetizing for me. It's in flesh and blood. I think you need to put like, you just put all of the electrifies together. You don't sort it by color. Um, cause when you sort it by color, that's really annoying, right? Like as you go back to your blues, there's two electrifies back there. You go in your, your, no, riot, your reds. Are, that's what I mean by alphabetize. So you alphabetize, yeah. so you go, you go through your A's, you get to E, you've got two electrifies. Okay. Oh yeah. yeah for, sure, for sure. For sure. You go down. But to, I don't care if it's actually, if it's actually alphabetized, like I don't alphabetize just because like I'm kind of dyslexic and it would take me forever to like alphabetize it in sets. Um, but I do just keep them together, and like for me, that's the most important part. Because then you can just you just bang, you just bang, you just can bang right through, and then um, get them done easily enough. But yeah, like Ken said, you mentioned like twenty minutes and thirty minutes. Um, 
I don't recall the, the timer being that long for us. I don't remember what it was exactly. It feels shorter when you're in the moment. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did feel really stressed for time. I was like, dang it. Yeah. 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 I, I think if, um, if, if people are going to these, these callings or to ProQuest in the future, like you'll, you will get the same amount of time. It's just a, I think a thing of making sure you use your time wisely, but a time management thing, it's really difficult, especially if it's like the first time or the second time we haven't done it in a while. Mm-hmm. Just tough. For sure. All right. So X done and dusted, registered, you head off. I'm sure uh, you're having a chat with, with, you know, the guys, uh, how did everyone feel about their seal pools overall? Yeah. I mean, Dante's pool sucked. Um, then everybody else's pool was just absolutely busted that we kind of went with like Steven who went undefeated in Swiss. His pool was crazy. Zach's pool was crazy. Um, Tim, who I lost to on stream, his pool was absolutely nuts. Uh, I wish that he had showed it to me cause then I would have known about the triple sigil, but it's all good. <laughs> it's funny that you guys, you guys uh, played on each other on stream. That's so like in a yeah. 500 and what was it? 20 person event. You both play on stream. I like in round playing three. kind of. I like playing my friends and I like playing them on stream too. Cause it's just, it's just funny. And it's, you know, it's, ultimately it's a calling. It's not like the craziest high stakes ever. So it's all fun. Um, but yeah, let's, let's go through the round. So round one, my opponent is decently soft, but his, his deck is ridiculous. He has a full suit of armor. Um, you know, he's just absolutely coming at me. And then I do happen to, he gets two embodiment tokens really early. Um, I come in for like four or something and he blocks it in twine earth and he was like full block. I was like, no, blocks are two. And then he picked up the card, put it back in his hand, put another card down. I was like, no, <laughs> can't do that. Like it's a calling. Don't do that. Um, so I didn't call a judge or anything, but yeah, he did put it back down. Obviously that was not good for him. And I got a lot of tempo back after that. So unfortunately that that's how the way I had to, how, how it had to go. But I think that I was probably winning that game anyway. Cause he played like a couple. So tomorrow's or something. And he was like, um, he put like rejuvenate red on the bottom of his deck. So I think he was planning on fatiguing me or something, which just wasn't going to happen with a deck like mine um, with like all this arcane damage, right? Four Bramble Sparks. So that one gets done and dusted um, pretty cleanly. And then we go on to round two. Round two, I don't particularly remember, to be honest. Um, I think it was over pretty quickly. It was definitely like I was almost, I had, I played, uh, so seven rounds of Swiss, I played five Briars and I played all the Lexies in like the final rounds. Um, actually, the two final rounds to be specific. But yeah, round two goes by, and I'm assuming that it was somewhat uneventful because I can't remember for life of me when we did this yesterday. And then in round three, I'm on stream. So I always lose round three at like every event I go to that I don't go undefeated in. I wrote to Nats, like you know, the last call, you name it. And then I always lose every – apparently I lose every everything on stream <laughs> as well. So double whammy. And I'm up against Zach uh, – or sorry, Zach's brother, Tim. And Tim had already told me his deck is just absolutely crazy. I'm like, oh, geez, here we go. So we're on stream. I am definitely winning the game, and then I draw the four non-attack actions. So after having tempo and having a clear way to win, I just go, you know what, sir? I didn't want to win anyway. Here you go. And just swing for two. Um, there was pretty much no way I was actually going to win that game, but on the final turn of the game, I actually do a, a strictly incorrect sequence. Um, I played a Stir the Wildwood for 10 when the correct was ball light was Earthlord Surge, Ball Lightning, and Swing the Sword. Um, I still would have died to the Triple Sigil, but it was a bummer to make like such a bad play on camera and that was the thing that i was actually kind of bummed about after that but it was all good like i didn't mind losing i just knew i had to submarine my way up um and you know just not lose any more games yeah and so, uh, you can go and check that game out it's on as i say the fab tcg youtube page um good game a little bit you know heartbreaking seeing there's a there's a there's a good meme going around uh, about you brendan and on camera games because every time you play on camera at these calling events it seems to be that you are ridiculous stuff happens you know triple sigils triple inverted existences 
yeah, go watch the go watch the quarterfinals if you want to see the the one that I'm at. I, that one is far beyond the, the triple sigil and triple <laughs> invert. Um, but yeah, so we go into round four or five. Um, it's a bit murky for me on four and five, but f- four or five, I played a guy named Cameron. Um, I met him in road to nationals um, events before, and uh, I remember one thing that's notable is like I always count my opponent's deck, but if I know my opponent personally, I'll be like, hey. Like after we obviously roll off, I'm like, do you guys want to tell me how many cards? And then I'll just shuffle. So I don't have to count. He was like, uh, 31 or 32. So I decided to count, um, anyway, cause he has another number and it turns out it's 37. And that was not because he was trying to shark me. He actually just left in his old him board. Um, so I think that really hurt him in our game because from what I'd heard before, his deck was very, very good, but, um, it did not perform well in our match and I was able to pick up the win. Um, round five, uh, sorry, round six and round seven, I played two Lexis. Something very notable in round six is I play Lexi, um, a guy named James Teeple. James Teeple, I played at the top eight in the Calling Austin 2019. I played him in multiple road to nationals. Um, none of the guy for a while. He's playing Lexi. He makes me go, f- or I win the, the tie roll. I chose to go first. I draw a very bad hand. No arcane damage. Can't get an embodiment. Uh, but does have a ball lightning in it. And I just say, I was like, okay, pass. He's like, pass? Why would you say pass? I was like, well, you have Shiver. It's an instant. And he goes, oh, okay. Like he hadn't, I guess he hadn't thought about it. And then he, you activate Shiver, pitches a card, loads Dazzling Crescendo. And I was like, okay. I mean, I play a lot of Kano, so I've been hosed by this. You know, every time I've tried to go off on my opponent's turn and they have an action point. Um, so I got Cracker Jack's Ball Lightning and then do a uh, Autumn's Touch for six. And I still had the Arsenal. So ultimately, my opponent takes six off of that. <laughs> he was really bummed about that. But honestly, if, you, if you're playing Flesh and Blood and your opponent can do instant things on your turn, it's not Arsenal pass. It's pass Arsenal. So definitely something you should keep in <laughs> mind, and you maintain your action point um, during that time as well. Yeah, we've tricked everyone. Yeah, I was going to say we've tricked everyone, but not not quite. I mean, it's um, you, you pass priority in the uh, in the action phase, right? And with your action yeah. point, and if your opponent then passes it, so you both pass on an empty combat chain, um, then you you go to Arsenal, tidy up. Well, tidy up the turn, Arsenal, and then ultimately pass the turn back right but yeah <laughs> but it is something to i know you know obviously usually people get got by that once if they're not clear about how maintaining the action point works during an action phase you know they played against kano they played against dash things like this then um usually after that they're pretty good but like you say i mean putting that dazzling crescendo in is, is pretty yeah, pretty best, solid anyway. best target right yeah. like there's an, there's an argument to do that anyway because dazzling crescendo is like one of the best things you can um lexi into your arsenal yeah i feel i feel lightning counts high definitely definitely for sure so round seven, I play another Lexi, um, and then I was ultimately able to get in the win with the Inspire Lightning. I actually won a lot of my games with Inspire Lightning. That doesn't speak to the card; it speaks to the power level of my deck. <laughs> um, but yeah, we finish up. We finish up Swiss. Then I think I'm at twentieth. I think I finished twentieth on the day. So losing round three, being a pretty low X one, but obviously that's plenty good for top sixty four. Yep, I think you sit in the, from memory, you're in the third pod. So yeah, you're somewhere around that 20th mark. Um, yep. So the way it works, right? So day one, actually a mammoth day, right? So day one is the sealed build and then it's seven rounds of sealed. You're sitting at about like four or 5 p.m. at this point. Um, but then now you've got to draft and and do three rounds of draft because they've just cut to top 64 for this first draft. But then yeah. at the end of this day, after this first draft, they're going to cut to top 32, right? Yeah, so it was brutal. So my main criticism, one of my main criticisms on the day was actually we had like this like very random break. Um, after round four, we had an hour long food break, which was just, it was really annoying because like an hour is a lot of time and like round four, like we literally just started playing and kind of felt like, especially in limited. And then we just added that and that 
was uh, that was brutal on the day for sure. And they actually just sent out an email for Cincinnati as well. They said it's eight rounds of Swiss, which is good. I'm happy for more rounds. Don't get me wrong. But um, And then we still are drafting on the first day. So I really hope that we don't get that break or that break happens after round seven. Um or uh, something like that, because that was that definitely drew it out. But so we go into we go into draft. The draft was uh, it was pretty rough to be honest. It was rough around the edges. Uh, so there's a lot of people drafting. There's 64 people. Um, they're calling it out over the mic. But because there's 64 people, you know, people are dropping cards left and right. You know, some people have to stop the draft, go to the bathroom. I mean, the draft I think ended up taking like an hour. Um, so it took a really, really long time, which is fine. But ultimately, it, it made this event run kind of late. Talking about the cards that did draft. Drafted my favorite archetype um, to play during that draft. Absolutely busted deck. Um, and basically, I, I, I was pretty confident on the, you know, as soon as I f- finished the draft that I had the deck, right? I had the deck that I wanted. It was the archetype, the one we had kind of, you know, talked about and just dreamed of getting. So I was very happy and I was very confident that I could at least 2-1 my pod, if not 3-0. So let's, uh, let's go into the first round. First round um, is my opponent. His name is Justin. Also met him at the, I think he was on the top eight of the calling 2019 over in Austin. And I played him a few times since then. And um, it was it was a bit of an odd match. He was playing Briar. I don't know if he was new, but he was missing a lot of his embodiment tokens. Um, and my deck was just very, very strong. So kind of just got through that first match really easily. Matches two and three are definitely not <laughs> definitely were not easy so match two can't remember the guy's name but he was um so he was a, a listener of the podcast so he'll probably be listening so he had come from magic pretty recently and he was uh he was a very good player he was on lexi and uh he actually got me with this play it was the most i've ever been bamboozled in flesh and blood like he flips heaven heaven's claws uh pitches a yellow plays heaven's claws has one card in hand um so he has two cards in hand i'm like okay like we don't have to worry about too much here you know, so I go ahead and I play the turn timber on it just for value. And then after that, he goes ice quake plus uh, plus lightning surge red on. Oh, man, that was bad. Yeah, he totally got me with that one. And it put me in a pretty bad spot. But ultimately, uh, ultimately I was able to close it out. Um, so yeah, two zero on the... Yeah, totally got punished. It was it was hilarious. I was like, wow. As soon as he did, I was like, oh, man, I did not see that coming. But so we go into round three. Uh, round three, I play this guy. Um, his name is Tarek. He's also from Magic. And um, he was on Briar. His deck was seemed like it was decently strong. But ultimately, what I was most impressed with was actually the player. I could just tell by the way he was playing. He was pretty much making all of the decisions that I would have made. Definitely understood um, tempo and understood embodiment tokens much better than all of my opponents <laughs> on the weekend. Um, so despite the power level of my deck, it ended up being a decently close match. And I was, I was quite impressed. It was funny because Dante was actually watching from behind on him. And he had said to me after the match, he was like, yeah, that guy made all the decisions I would have made. So pretty impressive. Uh, and he was also quite new to the game from what I understand. There was a couple of key moments. One, um, he did, he cracker jacks to get something up to four and it already hit me or something. And I had a uh, runaways and I actually blanked it with runaways and stopped the embodiment token. I think that was like the one mistake. And then there was another time when he was going to Arsenal, you know, lightning searches his hand, I actually double pitch for old him to stop the embodiment um, and put that card on top of his deck. And that was, uh, it was pretty devastating. It was mm-hmm. definitely a turning point of the game, but yeah, really, really impressed with Tarek as a player. And um, he, he ultimately came ninth. So <laughs> bad beats, but I think that he's going to be uh, a force on the, on the North American scene. Yeah. But yeah. So I, mm-hmm. 
I was right. gonna say definitely think we'll see more of um of Tarek and I did see his his match on camera as well. Yeah, very very solid player. So I think we'll see more of him. Um so you, you end up three oh in the pod, right? Mm-hmm. So you're now Which is where you want to be. <laughs> yeah, nine and one for the day, right? So you're actually fourth at the at the cut to top thirty two. So sitting pretty. Um actually let's just talk a little bit about um your draft. So in that draft, do you know what you, you first picked in that draft? Um, it was a piece of armor. I'm, I don't recall exactly what it was, but it was definitely, yeah, it was definitely a piece of armor. One but of it was not deep, not deep blue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and so yeah, you drafted all time. You felt like you had a really solid deck. Um, obviously you had, I think you had dual element in that deck. You were able to utilize the the old time ability uh, sort, sort of, of different yeah. ways. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very heavy towards one side, but uh, yeah, it was sort of dual element. I would say the turn that I was able to put the card on top of Tarek's deck and block the two damage was, uh, well, I had three ice cards in that deck. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, nine and one. It's getting late by this point, right? Like, this has been a big day, which I think is actually just wanted to go to that. You said you, you know, there's an email came around about Cincinnati. Interestingly, I think it's like a real. So, I, th- I think my understanding is what um, Fab, uh, sorry, Alexis and, and CFB are trying to do is make sure that as many players as possible have the opportunity to play the pro quest on day two as well. And so yeah. the the way that some events work for other card games, you know, I know specifically for magic with how channel fireball have run their events in the past is you would do, you do the Swiss uh, portion of say sealed. So however many rounds, rounds that is, then you, um, you'd cut to uh, however your top, so your top 64 if you had first draft, right? You would do the draft and sometimes you would play uh, one round and then you would end for the day. Um, so it does give people obviously the understanding of the record of where they're going to come into for day two, but then that's awkward with trying to do another set of drafts so people are dropping. The other thing that has been done in the past is that you play, you know, your X amount of rounds of sealed to get your top eight cut, your, sorry, your top 64 cut, you cut and then you play one more round of sealed. I like that less personally, but I understand they're trying to obviously get as many players as possible the opportunity to know if they're in contention at the end of day one. Uh, and if not, be able to play the pro quest rather than sort of waste their time and you know need to win out to mo- on the second day lose their first round miss the pro quest and kind of you know not be the best day sure so i'm i'm okay with the current format i actually prefer it i just hope that they could not do a random break after round four for an hour that is redonkulous um and then please start earlier if possible if you're going to run slow like obviously this is the first limited one so it's going to be hiccups but uh and they get 11 or close to 11 p.m. is not nice, especially when some people have to drive like an hour past that and you have to be back up at you know 6 a.m. again. And it's uh, I do like playing a lot on day one, getting like a clear-cut group of people for day two so you can play the pro quest. But uh, I mean, I, I'm all for starting earlier, but I know for some people that would just be kind of a death sentence. So hey, I understand. Gamer time, man. <laughs> Gotta have gamer time. Yeah. Gotta have gamer time, right? Um, but yeah, all in all, like it ended pretty late, but I was able to get, you know, five or six hours of sleep which was that's nice enough yeah so five or six hours of sleep how are you feeling obviously if i'm sitting in fourth you know you're sitting in a good position there's one more draft at this point it's like you win your first round of draft you're probably locked um very likely uh but at the very you know the very least two one and um and you're in so how are yeah. you feeling heading into the venue on sunday oh yeah i mean two one is a great place to be you're able to drop one so i actually wasn't locked i was um it's probably the way it would have ended up if I had gone one two, uh, or so yeah. Sorry, if I had lost two and then one one, but in the earlier rounds, I actually yeah. would have gotten like ninth or tenth. Um, so yeah, it was it was interesting. I was definitely getting close to the bubble, especially when I lost that second to last round. Um, but overall, I felt good. Like I, I pretty much I felt confident that I was going to top eight. 
Um, I get into the draft pod. Um, my draft pod is definitely very challenging, right? Like Tarek is back in my pod. I was passing to Tarek in the top 64 draft, and now he's passing to me in the top 32. Um, and yeah, it goes extremely well. So I drafted the best deck on the day that I had on that day in that round. Um, and I know it's funny because you'd be like, oh, you drafted the best deck, but you went you went 2-1. The reason I went 2-1 is because I was playing Alec Myers. Um, I had lethal. I mean, I was dominating the game. I had lethal. Um, and then I had, you know, I had Weavice Red in hand. I had Blue Frazzle. And then I had Blue Bolton Shot and a resource card. And what I do is I play Weavice, um, Pitch for Shiver, and then I drop the Bolton Shot in instead of the Frazzle and then just come in for Dominate 2. Like, obviously, just like the biggest punt of my life. Just And just totally lose the game other than that the deck was incredible it was funny because we laughed about it but like you know if you're if you're gonna win the game just just i guess slow it down and make sure double triple quadruple check or something like that because i just i have no clue how i made that play that ultimately lost me that game other than that like my my matches were were very clean on that on the that portion it's like one of my biggest takeaways from playing uh flesh and blood and like the closing out games is like just keep the concentration for the last the last minute that's all that's needed you know sometimes when it's long rounds there's you know more rounds to play after this, and you, you start thinking about those mind wanders. It's like just got to play game to game, right? As much as possible. Yeah. And I did it actually, you know, very similarly um, at a at a skirmish event not too long ago. It's it's is sometimes difficult. So anyway, so you, you drafted Lexi this time around, right? So you had a yeah. from sounds of it uh, an ice or a dual element, or what did that Lexi deck kind of look like? Um, that I'm probably not going to reveal just cause I might, <laughs> I might redraft and I want to get cut or anything like that, but it was a Lexi deck and it was incredibly strong. Hate to be vague, but we got Cincinnati coming and I felt like, um, during this tournament that I was heavily out drafting most of the other players in my pod. So if they all want to keep forcing Briar, then that's okay with me. I'll probably leave the info until later. Sure. So win the first round at this point, you are basically locked. I think actually, if you look back at now, you'd, you'd, nice. be, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you'd be, you'd be locked. Um, so in round two, you play Alec. Uh, that's a loss. Yeah, uh, but then, and then last round. Yeah, just got to win the last round. Um, and I did. I played a guy named Caleb, I believe. I don't know if he's the first or the last round. He was the first round. Um, Caleb from Legends of Runeterra. Um, but in the last round, I played one of the guys that top aided, and um, my deck was my deck was just so strong that it, was, it closed it out pretty pretty easily, pretty handily. A big old dominate for some ridiculous amount. Um, but yeah, then I know I'm locked for top eight and the second seed. Awesome. So getting into top eight, um, what was it kind of like, what was the feel like amongst like the players? Do they do an announcement? Like, how does that kind of look like getting into the top eight? Um, they do a little bit of an announcement, but like most people are playing the pro quest or side events by the time. So it's not like there's a big crowd. Um, I know when they get down to like seven, eight, nine, that's when it gets exciting because there was, you know, people on breakers. Yeah. Yeah. People on breakers. But, um, yeah, it was like whatever. <laughs> you know, took a picture, and I felt good. As soon as I made top eight, I thought I was going to win the event, for sure. But obviously, I didn't. Um, anyway, let's get into the draft. Top eight draft. The way it's sitting is like so. I'm passing to a Briar player. That's passing to Nam on old him. Who's passing to a Briar player? Who's passing to a Lexi player? And then there's um, three more Briars. So this, in the seat I'm in, I have three Briars passing to me. So I first pick up ball lightning because my my pack one was terrible by the way they recorded my draft so they might put it up um if they do you'll, you'll see it's pretty funny but i first pick up ball lightning and i see lightning drop like immediately so i already know there's like briars probably near me and then earth goes extremely quick as well so actually well i was in a very bad position to draft old time and actually counter draft nom um 
by the way, when I say counter draft, like, I mean, everybody should have known that Nam was going to force old him. He like, I don't know if he said it, but I'd heard it a million times that he had played old him in every single draft, played it in sealed, and that this is like what he does. So I was pretty surprised. Uh, but yeah, I was in, I was not in a good place to kind of cut him on old him because I had like no earth cards. And it's funny if you look at Nam's Nam's deck, he actually has a lot of earth cards despite there being five briars, but he's passing to all of the briars except for the one to his right. Um, yeah, both those elements go pretty quickly. Ice is decently open. Um, and then on the wheel in pack one, I'm just getting an incredible um, Lexi cards. And so that's when I make my pick to go over to Lexi. You'll see it throughout this draft. I actually wheel some of the best cards in my deck. Um, but I do have kind of like a dual element deck uh, towards the end here, both Frost and um, and Lightning. Overall, it's a powerful deck. I would call it like a 7 to 8, 7 out of 10 or 8 out of 10. You could maybe use a little bit more pumps. Um, overall, it's just it was a it was an extremely strong deck, and I walked away very very confident. But one thing I was not confident about was when I was told that there was one Ultim player at the at the table. <laughs> like once the draft was over, I knew who that Ultim player was, and I was like, okay, well, <laughs> we're in trouble. Um, but at that point, I knew that I probably had the only deck that had any chance of beating Nam. Um, five Briars with cracked bobbles, you know, some of them having cracked bobbles in their deck do not have a chance of beating a 40 card Oldham deck. And it's it's not a 40 card pile, it's a 40 card, like, real 40 card yeah, Oldham deck. It's the only Oldham player. <laughs> yeah, it was a strong deck um, in every way. So, yeah, I probably had the only chance. And um, we can, let's just go ahead and talk about it a little bit. So, the way it would have worked is like, um, I probably play like around 34 cards in that match. Uh, I He's playing 40. He will never see a second cycle. So I have to chip in, get him to kind of like 10 or below, ideally to round six, play a second cycle, something like a ball lightning, plus the overflexion, plus the weave, um, and just get a big dominate. And, you know, whether it's on a frazzle or something like this and get that extra damage and not run into. So what, what I would lose to in that case is if I ran into like the Summerwood Shelter that was drawn. So he's only playing off his first cycle. I'm setting up the second cycle. Um, and, you know, if he tracks my push, maybe he's able to arsenal a Summerwood and sit on it the entire game. Um, or maybe just pick something late. But that would have been the only chance is like if I don't run into like a bad beat on the last hand that's like a turn timber, um, you know, fuse like a red turn timber fuse or the Summerwood Shelter on top of something else, then I have a chance. But ultimately, it was it definitely would have been like probably one of the hardest limited games of my life like if i was going to win um because nam's deck didn't just fatigue like it did a lot more than just yeah. fatigue it was like three for seven constantly it had glacials i mean it had a lot it had and old <laughs> yeah it just had good cards it was just a good all-time deck with some other good cards in there as well and you know to the way nam was playing um worked out really well and, and being the only all-time draft i mean it's at the end of the day whether nam forced it whether he drafted a seat he ended up with the best deck at the table right um and that's going to yeah, happen sure. if you're if you're the if you're the only free drafter the only person drafting one hero that's going to happen because you're going to have your choice of elements you have your choice of uh you're going to be able to wheel your class cards which is really important um so yeah congratulations to Nam on his performance and his run and yeah obviously set himself up for success in that draft and it's actually funny brennan i think you know doing my armchair analysis at home um watching the quarterfinals and waiting for yours to to, to come on i was talking to a mutual friend of ours about how maybe you could play into numbstick and how you'd be able to beat that um and one of the things that you talked about was exactly the same thing first cycle versus second cycle with less cards you're going to see a second cycle sooner um, but there's a lot of turn timbers and somewhat shelters and numbstick so you know the ability to go wide would could potentially really punish that but um the briars as you say just weren't able to do that as they naturally might be able to because they just didn't have the card quality uh, being five five briar drafts at a table 
Yeah, probably. I mean, I feel like it's got to be like close to zero percent chance that any of those briars take down Nom this Nom's deck. Maybe you know some crazy variants, but uh, would have been hard to see. So let's get into the quarterfinals. The quarterfinals are paid up against the other Lexi, um, of course. Um, I'm well. The game's going well. I'm winning the game. I end up arsling a red electrify. So and he's at four. So I have lethal in like a million different ways. Um, then what he does is he has a four card hand. He honing hoods down a polar blast. He has no arrow in hand at this time. He honing hoods down the polar blast, pitches a card, doesn't pitch the ice card in his hand, of course. Um, then draws a card, draws the red chilling ice vein, plays an, and then the polar blast I decide to not pay for. We'll talk about the analysis of why I didn't do that as well, because it's worse if I pay for it. The only th- And by the way, going into his turn, the reason why I also Arsenal pass is the only thing I lose to is red overflex, like literally nothing else. Obviously something else because there's invigorate. But the main thing that's going to be a straight line of play is going to be a red overflex in a four card hand. Um, so yeah, he draws the red Chilling Ice Vein, he plays the Polar Blast, I decide not to pay, he plays Invigorate Yellow, so for Invigorate to get the buff, you have to fuse, then he plays the Red Chilling Ice Vein, and then fuses the Winter's Bite that's left in hand, it's 9, I'm at 6, it's perfect lethal. There's an earlier turn, yeah, yeah, dominated, There's because of the Polar Blast, so there's an earlier turn in that game where he Heavens Claws me, and then attacks me again after that, and I don't Runaways, I considered it for a second, but ultimately like quickly didn't do it. And I knew that as soon as I did that, it was going to be, a, it was a mistake. Um, I saw his deck was, you know, there definitely was lightning cards in there. So I thought I might be able to be able to do it again. Um, but ultimately I would have lived at one and then killed him with lethal on the final turn. So let's say I pay for the polar blast, right? I'm like, Brennan, why don't you pay for the polar blast? You have a blue. If I pay for the polar blast, he still comes in for the same amount. And then I block with my entire hand. I go down to four and he's even more likely to find the overflex or find something else and tempo me out of the game. And I have guaranteed lethal in hand unless he has some ridiculous sequence, which is what happened. So I think ultimately I would have made the same choice. The runaways was definitely a mistake, but there was in that final situation, like I think that the play was to not pay for the polar blast, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. It's really exact damage in the end. Enough was a, a red overflex or it was the, the uh, red invigorate, like it's a bit of a bit of a different story, right? Yellow invigorate, um, actually. Yeah, because that's, that's what I'm saying. If it's a red invigorate, yeah. right? The runaways doesn't matter, but yellow invigorate yeah. ends up actually mattering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, so that's, that, that's how that ended, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, I lost. <laughs> yeah, so a really close match. You can again you can go see this on TCG's YouTube. They've uploaded all the top eight, all of the uh, day two Swiss drafts as well. So you can go and see both of Brendan's game, Brendan's games on camera. Uh, continuing the uh, the curse. You have to break it in um, in Cincinnati. I actually sent an email and asked if they could put you on camera round one. Uh, I'm okay with that. I'll, yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. Be just okay. get out of the way. Let's uh, let's break the. Case. I don't. I don't believe in it. Like I don't think it's a thing. Um, of course, it's not. It, it's funny in the ways that I have lost on camera because they are freaking hilarious. Triple invert, and then we have triple sigil, and then that. I mean, the quarters was the most by far was like the craziest scenario in terms of like you know a sequence of cards that i didn't expect to be sitting on the other side of the table um but yeah it's you know it's it's definitely a funny meme at this point yeah, interesting yeah okay <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll find out anyway so again yeah i want to say congratulations to the the whole top eight of the event um again of course congratulations to nam uh you know played a really good event took it out um and then of course to yourself running congratulations Wanna... Yeah, it's funny. They, they actually, I just want to say real quick, they interviewed me right after. Yeah. <laughs> uh, of course, like they always do. But I remember he was like, he's like, how do you feel? I was like, um, I was like devastated, right? Because I had already lost in the finals of a calling. So I was, for me, it was basically win or nothing. Not to sound not appreciative for, you know, getting top eight. Like that's awesome. Getting a P-tie is awesome. Getting a gold for is cool. But uh, 
yeah, for me, it was definitely, I, I very much wanted to win the event, but all that means is that I've just got to, you know, buckle up and go for the next one. Exactly. Run it back. Yeah. All right. We're going to move through to some Twitter questions now. So again, as I said, did put the call out this week, uh, to some Arsenal Pass listeners and our Twitter followers for some questions to ask Brendan about this calling experience, anything they might want to know, uh, even not just about the calling, but just about the weekend, uh, things like that. So I'm going to get into it, Brennan. Uh, some of these questions we've probably already answered as we've talked through the event and some of the things that happened, some of your choices. Um, so, you know, if that's the case, we'll just kind of acknowledge that and we'll, we'll move through these questions. But the first one comes from Adam Parker, who is actually out in Perth uh, in Western Australia here and has listened to the podcast for, for quite a while now. Yes, in hindsight, would Brennan change anything about his plays and drafting in Dallas-Fort Worth? Um, and without giving away secret tech, did the ProQuest change anything about your thinking on CC? So I'm going to go to the first part first. Okay, I would not change any of my drafts. I think there was a question about plays. Like, yeah, I would I would have run away when I didn't do that. And obviously, I would have not punted versus Alec in like the cra- <laughs> that hilarious way. But other than that, I was very happy with my performance, especially my drafts. I was extremely happy with the way I drafted and the decks I came out with. Yeah. The ProQuest, um, yeah, the ProQuest reaffirmed everyone, every, like literally everything I thought about the meta. It was pretty much key for key, what we expected. Does it change anything? No, not really. I think that people brought a lot of decks that they felt comfortable on, which is fine. But um, even though like the ProQuest meta is a good kind of thing to look towards as, a, as we go forward and you know, there's another ProQuest in Cincinnati and then there's Nationals, we might see a little bit more decks just because a little bit, sorry, diversity in decks because people will have more time to test. There is not a lot of time to test for class constructor here and they can you know, discover new decks or play different heroes. Or A lot of people will actually hide decks and not play them in the ProQuest sometimes. Um, especially when you have an event like nationals looming. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was about what we thought, I think in terms of what decks would show up the meta. I mean, it makes sense, right? So it's a, it's a holdover from the previous meta where prism obviously was very popular, uh, had the, the ultimate result in willing, winning the calling Vegas. So we saw prism, we saw Bravo, uh, which makes sense. We saw that prevalently through the, uh, road to national season. And then we saw a few things like dash and Katsu and, and Bolton sort of make up uh, another big chunk of the decks that showed up. So, yeah, I think it makes sense. We saw a Lexian top eight though, which I think was cool. Yeah, lightning um, Lexi. Yeah, which I think was probably undefeated like, in Swiss as well. There's a really cool deck. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, really although I think you have to be undefeated in Swiss to make cool. top eight in the progress anyway. <laughs> nah, a couple, I think it was two or three X1s okay. made okay. it in. Right. There, was a, there was a huge X1 bubble. <laughs> I know yeah. because in my friend Dante lost the fifth round and there was a bunch of other people that lost the fifth round as well. Like, you know, obviously same round that Dante got like 10th or 11th. 10th, I think, yeah. all in the opponents. Because a lot of people will lose one round. They're like, they'll lose your second round, they'll drop. So if your opponent doesn't drop, then you're more likely to top eight. Yeah. All right. Uh, next question we have here is from Pelpster. Pelpster says, which limited format does Brennan prefer for Tales Varia? Sealed or draft and why? <laughs> Leading question there for yeah. Brennan. <laughs> so it's draft. I think that this is like one of the best draft formats ever mm-hmm. made. Um, it's really, really good. The sealed format, sorry. Uh, usually on Arsenal Pass, we're very positive. We have been literally since the beginning, but the sealed format for me is a solid three out of 10. Like it's pretty bad. It's close to Arcane Rising, but you asked me like, why is it bad? Um, Briar, for the, like for the first time, this was not true in Monarch. Prism was not significantly better than the other heroes. Um, and, but Briar can be, I would love to have a great Ultim deck. I would love to have a good Alexi deck, but the Delta on Briar is, it seems to be quite a bit. Uh, above and beyond the others, um, at least when you have like an average deck. 
pass at the format is extremely tempo based. Um, so when you get below your life threshold in Monarch was like, you know, three, four or something like that. Um, the life threshold in Tales of Aria feels like it's like 13 or like 10 because your opponent will just chain five card hands into you doing like 10 to 15 damage just because ridiculous and they get the embodiments. Um, sometimes you have a, there's quite a few sometimes like non-games, at least after like turn two, turn three, where you can just basically just be defending out, being presented lethal every single time. Um, you rarely see the second cycle of your deck. Uh, so this sealed format is not my favorite. Um, I think that's that's echoed by most competitive players. Um, but the draft is very very good. The draft is phenomenal. It's fantastic, and you know, with tales you know tales of Aria draft being a significant portion of nationals, I think we should all be excited. Yeah, I think draft is the I think this is the best draft format. I I do really like monarch draft, um, but I think this this draft format is is better. Um, it's it's such a cool format in the way that you can. I think drafting your seat and being there's so much edge to be gained. I think in the draft itself, in the way that you position yourself, the way that you take your early picks, the way that you read signals, um, and there's a lot of a lot of value in that. And it's funny because a lot of players new to the game or players that haven't played limited, a lot of limited does seem like more variance based, more luck based. Um, and you know, there's definitely some elements of that in sealed. Uh, and I would agree that the sealed format is. I think it's personally, I think it's better than Arcane Rising by quite a bit, but it's not as good as Welcome to Wraith or Monarch um but the draft format is honestly it is so skill intensive and does reward players for both drafting very well and then playing very well yeah 100 percent agree all right we got a question from uh the torso aaron newson uh, aaron newson asks what's brennan's thoughts on weaponless heroes and limited and do does he feel in limited that lexi and other such heroes are innately uh, vulnerable to fatigue strategies and so there's three questions here, so we'll break them down. Thoughts on how drafting these heroes changes when reliance on attacks and decks is increased with no damage dealing weapon available. So just read them out to me one by one. Sure. So, so no what's your thoughts on weaponless heroes and limited? So what's my thoughts on weaponless heroes? Well, I think in Arcane Rising, it didn't turn out very well, um, especially for sealed. I think the draft format of Arcane Rising is okay, but because you could draft game plans. But other than that, um, if I look to like the premier weapons format, it's going to be Welcome to Wraith. It's a fantastic format. It's very healthy. It's one of my favorite sealed formats, one of my favorite draft formats. I really like weapons and limited. I also like hate fatigue, not because it's unbeatable, because usually it's very beatable, but if fatigue wins like a major tournament of flesh and blood, and I'm not talking about Nom's deck. Nom's deck wasn't a fatigue deck. Um, obviously it could fatigue, but it, when fatigue starts winning, it makes flesh and blood look like a crappy game because like who wants to play a game where you inter- with the way you're interacting with your opponent is them just tossing down the four cards and not thinking right um so i don't like fatigue for that sense and i don't like formats to facilitate that actually being good aka arcane rising sealed um and i love weapon formats so we let's talk about tails which is like a hybrid format well i mean you have dominate on a stick on shiver so there's there's ways to deal with it it's not you know it's very different from arcane rising in that sense yep yep and then aaron asks what do you feel uh, limited to Delixia and other such heroes innately? Are they more innately vulnerable to fatigue strategies because they don't have a weapon? I think in Sealed, Lexi is actually quite vulnerable to fatigue sometimes, um, depending on what you open. Uh, it's actually why I sometimes... Like, if I have, like, a medium Lexi dex, I will sometimes avoid it in Sealed just because I don't want to get fatigued. If I have a great Lexi deck, I mean, there's no way I'm getting fatigued. Um... But in drafts, like, I think you almost never get fatigued as Lexi. Actually, you're playing the hero that is least vulnerable to fatigue which is funny it seems kind of ironic but i think that lexi is the hero that is least likely to get fatigued in a draft scenario 
yeah, I think you have the ability with the flexibility of Shiver to uh, adapt to what your opponent's doing, whether that be like all the time trying to defend out tall, uh, you can go wide on certain things, or yeah, you have this ability with Shiver. Shiver is such a strong weapon. Um, so particularly in draft where you can build around your, your set of elements that you want to, uh, that works really well. And then lastly, Aaron says, uh, thoughts on how drafting, does the drafting of these heroes change because they don't have a weapon that deals damage? Yeah, I think so. Like in Lexi, it's pretty well known. Um, with most of the community, I feel like in draft Lexi, either going wide or going tall. Um, both strategies are pretty good against fatigue. Obviously, going tall with dominate can sometimes be quite a bit better. But um, yeah, the strategy definitely definitely does change. But I think it's inherent to being successful with the with the hero anyway. Yep. Cool. And this question comes from Sammy. Sammy says, "At what point does a pivot come into play?" So Sammy's talking about a pivot and a draft. Depends on how, does it depend on how the draft is going? Uh, but is there an, a point of no return where uh, you won't be able to pivot after a certain pick in a draft? Sure. There is a statistical point. You can only have 15 cards you can't play that also counts armor that you'll be using. So keep that in mind. Um, this is a good time to talk about like Tales of Warrior draft. I actually think this is one of the most fragile draft formats because we don't have generics. Everything is committal in one way. So obviously element cards can be used to two heroes, but because they are you know isolating one hero out of your choice there, um, it's really hard to switch off. Like if you draft all ice and you're like, okay, now I'm going to go Briar. It's pretty, it's pretty tough. Um, so I actually think that this is the format where I try to stay the most diverse early. Like when I say early, I mean like three to four picks. And then I try to hunker down into at least an element pretty quickly. Um, Cause the last thing you want is to be like, like, you know, three, four picks ice. And then boom, now you're having to fully pivot into Briar or something like that. And then the cards that you get like pick, you know, 13, 14 are guardian cards. And it, it, gets, it seems like it's really fragile and really sensitive to, um, you know, potentially not having enough playables, whether if you draft something too aggressively or if you are actually too conservative. So um, very fine line in this format. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I actually thought initially this format was going to be probably just as easy to pivot in because there's only three heroes and you have the elements and they go into two heroes, right? But in Welcome to Wraith or into Monarch's probably a better example, you have the ability to yeah. pivot so much easier because you can actually, in the early picks, say you can probably leave yourself open, pretty open up until the, the end of pack one because you can take a few generics, you can take a few uh, shadow cards, say, and you could end up with some Livia cards and then some chain cards and still be able to pivot between the two um, even till the end of like pack one into pack two. Uh, and Welcome to Wraith with just generics, you could do that pretty late as well into sort of like picks 8, 19, 11, 12. With this format you are so heavily rewarded for reading what happens though so you can hitch some picks you don't want to commit too hard but you know if the card quality is really good then you can definitely do that but some of those element cards are going to lay to still be able to pivot probably up until like picks like six seven eight and then by that time you're actually going to start to get the wheel from the the table and then you're going to get more signals anyway so i think that's um the pivot is definitely different in this in this form of tales of Aria, but it's actually i think it's what makes the format so exciting it makes it so skill testing mm-hmm Absolutely. Uh, we've got the next question from uh, French. I think it's how it said. What was your starting plan going into your drafts? Your first, what were your first picks in top eight draft and ultimately what made you choose Lexi in that draft? So kind of that pivot point, right? We're probably talking about. Sure. So we talked about it. I picked a ball lightning first um, because the pack was really weak. Had an amulet in it um, as well, I believe. And um, did I hope to play Lexi? No. Uh, what I did hope to do, and that's what I had done in every draft, uh, in the event part of this was play my seat and play open. Um, and I was so heavily rewarded for that every single time I drafted. Um, it didn't really come in with any notion of what hero I wanted to play, what hero I didn't want to play. I just 
knew that I could play every hero and there were certain archetypes and um, certain deck strategies that I would go for if I was playing that hero. Um, and I think that's I think that's really the way you ha- you have to draft Tales of Aria. It's not that you can't get rewarded for just starting out Briar, or starting out Oldheim, or starting out Lexi. It's just that if you do find yourself in a scenario where there's other, you know, significant amount of other players in that hero at the table, um, I mean, you just like auto lose. It's bad. Yeah, I don't know what people ended up doing in terms of whether they were committed to forcing or whether they were committed to staying open. But let's let's take a, a, a I guess a tale of uh, two two players, right? Let's take one of these Briar players and let's say they were they were playing to force. Well, they end up in a, a class with five five other players, and then if you're not open to I guess your draft, you're probably just from pick one, just picking the best cards for a Briar deck, right? You're not picking the best cards to draft your seat. You're not picking the best cards in the pack. You're just picking the best cards for a Briar deck. So that's going to potentially cause you some issues around being able to pivot or be able to change or whatever it might be. And then on the flip side of that, let's say, um, I don't know whether Nam planned to force it or whether Nam stayed open and, and obviously just drafted that hero and, and got heavily rewarded. But let's say Nam does force. If if that does change and ends up being three or four um, all-time drafters, it's probably a very different deck from Nam, right? So, you know, you can see there was two Lexi players, one all-time player and five Briar players, and you saw the payoff for both yourself and obviously Nick made it to the finals against the all-time, and then the Briars, the five Briars, fought for that card quality and ended up with the, the worst decks at the table. Like, it's not even close, right? So um, you can kind of see how that plays out with in terms of that drafting your seat yeah. and picking the cards that are best. Heard this tale before. Just go back to the other limited calling. Yes, Matt Rogers, Matt Rogers, Kiki on the Shadow Heroes and on two different Shadow Heroes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it was like I mean their decks were just so much better than the rest of the people at the table. Of Monarch, I, I'm not. And if you were a part of that draft pod, and trust me, I know what happened. Like I know Monarch. The the packs are crazy. It's way harder in Monarch to you know read the right the right one. Um, and that can definitely happen because sometimes the packs just have all light or no shadow, and it's it's definitely a funky draft format because of that. Yeah, and it only takes one or two players to who maybe don't draft their seats in the way they should, which then can kind of skew with signals. Where especially if the packs are a bit skewy, which we had in Monarch. Uh, but if you know, there's this temptation, I think, and, and rightly so. You know, you you come through the day, maybe in the day two drafts, both your drafts were Briar, and they worked out really well for you. And you know, then you just you need to commit. There's a point in the top eight where maybe it's third or fourth pick and you just decide to commit. You go with what you know. You go with what's you know, brought you this far. And um, all of a sudden you end up in maybe the the, the class or the, the deck in the seat that you shouldn't. And it's perfect, you know, completely understandable. I think it's similar probably to what happened in um, Auckland, although I know from one of the top eight drafters, uh, Sam, who has uh, actually listened to the pod and, and did let us know that the packs were pretty pretty interesting. And I did get to see a bit of that top eight coverage. They did look a bit interesting, but... Yeah, it's um, it's hard when you're under the lights when all these things are happening to, and there's time limits, right, Brennan? Like you know, you've got some time limits in terms of making yeah. these picks. Yeah, there is. It is. It is narrated, and you can't look at your your picks, and it's timed, and what you would expect, right? Yeah. So you know, going back to the what you know is uh, very, very. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Next question we got here, Brennan, comes from Greg. Um, actually, sorry, this is a question we just answered from Greg about the the pack and the pick and the Lexi. Mitch, uh, Mitch says, what are Brennan's thoughts um, on a player who've only been playing for a couple of weeks uh, who, from Mitch's understanding, made the final round? So um, actually, when we recorded this, we weren't sure who Mitch was talking about. Could be Caleb, the Legends of Runeterra player who had a win in against you in the last round, I think. Could have been uh, Tarek, who ended up ninth. Uh, could have been Nick. I'm not sure how long Nick's been playing. But there was there was a lot of 
players who are you know newer to this game who did put out some pretty good performances, right, Brennan? Yeah, so Tarek, um, Tarek and uh, Caleb impressed me. And I'm actually going to go look at my thing right now because I want to get that um, the other guy's name because he was actually very new. I will talk while you do that, but yeah. I think my takeaway. So it was, uh, it yeah. was, um, sorry, I'm just figuring out how to, it's Yang Ji Yang. He's actually, he was quite new. I think he started playing in pre-release and he was very, very good. Okay, interesting. That was the on day two, right? Or day one? Day uh, two. Yeah, that was day first draft. two, I believe. Yeah, no, day yeah, day one, first draft. draft. Yeah, yeah. So I think kind of the thing you could say is that all these players, from my understanding, Caleb from Legends of Runeterra, um, Tarek from Magic, have backgrounds where they've played. I understand. I, I'm pretty sure in, in Runeterra, there's limited as well um, as there is in, in Magic. So players have played limited, and while the games are different, there is these, you know, these <laughs> Brendan's favorite words, some heuristics that they could definitely take across, and just some ingrained understanding of how TCGs work with limited, with trading, with value, um, that they can definitely port across to this game. And I think that limited is the perfect entry point for these players to come and have a really good weekend uh, because they can bring some of these skills across. And you know what? In terms of players coming into Flesh and Blood, everyone's kind of on even footing. Not many people had drafted Tales of Aria extensively, right? Because they didn't have the opportunity to. So these players weren't actually on that, you know, uneven a footing. They just had spent less time with the game, but they have these other skills they could bring across. So I don't think it's a surprise to these players uh, do really well in Limited. I'd be interested to see how they do in Constructed. I'm sure they're, they're all very good players, so I assume they'll do well in Constructed as well with a bit of time under their belt. Yeah, 100%. But those are, those are my three. Like, those were the ones that really impressed well, me. Yeah. yeah. Next question comes from Luke. Uh, how did the final, we've kind of already answered this one, but if you want to kind of just summarize it, I guess, Brendan, how did the final draft end up being five briars? Was it stubbornness or were the packs stacked with good briar cards? The packs were definitely not stacked with good briar cards. Next. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we talked about it. Like there's a, there's a bit of a comfort blanket with something like briar, maybe uh, with what's happened over the weekend. Maybe they played in seal, maybe they played in multiple drafts. Um, maybe it was, you know, it was right for their seat initially and then circumstances changed with cards being cut and things like that. And, and maybe there was, you know, too, yeah, many, too many picks. Sure. I can speak more on it. Like, listen, it happens, um, but like it shouldn't have happened. Like it, this is not like Monarch where you can get the zero shadow cards and these weird twisted, like the packs are relatively predictable, um, especially in dispersion. So like it should not have happened, but it, it's top eight. It's high, it's, you know, high, um, would you call pressure. it high pressure like there's so much going on but it, like i don't want to i don't want to sound like mean or anything like that because i'm not trying to say it but it, it definitely wasn't because like they were just getting incredible briar cards or something like that because i mean that just doesn't really happen in this format right because yeah. usually picking element cards and armor first anyway yeah it's not taking anything away from the players and i mean they, these players made top eight they got there on their merits and their players over the weekend so you know for to say that it's anything other than you know, I guess what happened in the draft happened in the draft, right? But you saw that again in Auckland um, with very good players in the top eight draft. I've seen that in other drafts of of events uh, with very good players in it. Like it's not it's not uncommon, uh, and it does happen with a few decisions. And yeah. actually, trickle down decisions happen as well, where one player makes a decision to to change, and it could be too late for a player to pivot, and they get completely cut. For instance, it just yeah. it happens. There's a guy, there's a guy here, Alec Myers, who I'm decently close with. He lives in Wichita. Um, played him a few road to Nats. But I mean, he had said on the Fab TCG Instagram page, like they interviewed him and see all he said he was just he was gonna force Briar in every draft. So like oh, that's what he did. He forced Briar um in that draft and that was what was expected. With the other people, I'm not sure. 
I know Drayton was sitting to my left, so obviously I had three briars feeding into me. I was the Lexi player, so I may have fed him some good briar cards, you know, like the boots or something that made him think that it was okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, in the, in this format, it's not going to be like a dispersion thing that's going to really drive you there. It's probably some early picks. You get a little bit too committed to them or you pivot too late. Who knows? Yep. All right, this is wrap up the last three questions. We got a question from Zane here. There was a poll about what hero people expected to win the ProQuest, and the top two answers were Bravo and Prism. Ultimately, the final of the ProQuest was Bravo and Prism. Given that Brennan is a self proclaimed meta slave, does uh, he plan to bring one of these heroes to nationals? <laughs> well, I'm not a meta slave. I mean, I think when we said meta slave, it was the wrong word to use. I just play the what I think is the best deck, um, and I'm not really partial to any hero there's some strategies that i I'm, i don't like very much like uh i don't know it's really not a thing anymore but back in like welcome to wraith i played like the fatigue deck um in the first construction calling and like i it's not fun going getting close to time having to rush your opponent all the time like that's not it's not very fun i don't really like the strategies um but yeah just because bravo and prism in the panels has no influence well it has a massive influence on the deck i'll pick but doesn't mean i'll pick those decks you know yeah, I think I guess to to clarify like the meta slave comments and like the it's more something I think we've joked about. Um, really, what what we're saying and what we aim to do is have the best deck at any given event, right? And so that comes through testing and playing, and sometimes that's the no, most known quantity, right? Um, chain we started week one on that deck. Uh, we couldn't find anything that could beat that that deck or the iterations of the deck that we came up with. So that was the that was the deck that we we played for the season um you know next time it could be a completely unknown quantity uh it could be you know a hero that we haven't played with before so it just depends um but i think knowing those results now there's definitely an impact right like there's a huge impact on what that means for heading into you know nationals for instance for for yourself brennan right with um what we're looking at for constructed yeah being able to predict the meta is a huge <laughs> a huge part of winning events i think yeah yeah it doesn't mean uh, in terms of playing one of those uh two decks but I, I get what uh, Zane's Zane's getting here. Who knows though? Of... I might be I might be oaring up. I might be uh, triple tome of divinity. You never know. Just sit across from me. I'm gonna lock you out. You got my parable humility. All these other. <laughs> to be fair, you did you did hard claim on I think about episode four or five that you were going to be a prison main. So I mean, yeah, that was definitely. So I waiting. did say that I might. I did say I might play the nationals too. So I think I've just been sandbagging it the whole time. I'm like secretly. You know what I do in my fun time? I play Saber Bolton. Especially, I know I do as I bring it to armories. I figure out who the new players are and I slap Slaver Bolt on the table. And <laughs> Enjoy the game. All right. Well, next question we have is from uh, Yazi. Yazi asks, What does Brendan get on his pizza? Is he a pineapple guy, a pepperoni guy? What about chili flakes or jalapenos? So I have celiac disease, so which means I can't eat gluten. So I'm not really a pizza guy. They do have gluten free pizza, but it's not as good and it's hard to get. Um, so best way to answer that is back when I do use, I did use to eat pizza because I didn't know, you know, didn't know my whole life. So now celiac, uh, definitely not pineapple and pizza. Definitely not. I mean, that's horrendous. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, I, I, I wouldn't, um, I would not eat a piece of pizza because I had pineapple on it. It was a really good pizza, but I'm, I'm going to actively avoid that. But you know what? Uh, you're having, if you have gluten-free pizza, I just think it's pizza without the fun, right? You just might as well eat something else. Yeah, why don't you just rub it in? <laughs> There's so many other nice things you can eat, though. It's fine. Um, question from Blev. The Blevins says, how much is the meme true that sealed is just hope you open a good briar pool? Great question to end on here. That's our last question from the two questions, Brendan. 
Yeah, I wish it was 0% true, but it's not 0% true. Opening a Grid Briar Pool is a good thing to do um, in these events. It doesn't mean you win the event. Absolutely not. So Tales of Aria, like I said, so tempo-based and so explosive. If you make a mechanical mistake in Tales of Aria Sealed, you usually lose the, lose the game on the spot. And you should. Um, so if you are a bad player with a good pool, I think you have very little chance of doing well in the sealed format. There's been other sealed formats where that hasn't been the case. Um, but this one in particular, it's not about like they, you know, you can't play the cards right. But as soon as you do make a mistake or you missequence something, like you're just going to usually lose off the back of it. Um, in terms of Briar, I do think that Briar is more powerful than the other heroes, like on average in sealed but i would love to have like a broken oldham deck or a broken lexi deck and sealed to be fantastic um but yeah i'm gonna be honest like <laughs> Some sometimes when, I, when i open my packs i'm definitely looking at my briar pool initially because usually that's where you end up yeah it's solid right like if you open up a good lexi or like a really good lexi or a really good old home uh, pool like fantastic play those heroes like those are you know oh, yeah. you're still gonna win games with those and and like brendan said the unlike other formats where you could just open certain pools um and you know the i guess the games got through the second cycle and the tempo was less important and just the ability to have good hands was actually more important um the i guess opening these pools you could just run with them right you could just sort of run through the fields with them but it's actually harder interestingly with this format with talzvari even though Sometimes it feels like there's a bit of a, I guess, a bit of a meme in terms of what you open, but it's, um, the play skill is still, still important. Yeah, I think play skill in this format. So, like, it's weird because, um, it's both, like, negatively affected in the sense that sometimes you just get rolled by somebody, but it's also positively affected because the format is so, uh, um, punishing to mistakes that you, you beat a lot of people off of them doing something that's not the best play. Yep, yep. Or, you know, they, swing tempo at the wrong time or they can't pivot when they need to things etc etc so anyway that's our twitter questions thanks to everyone who did submit a, a twitter question added us and um you know just to i guess compliment what we we talked about with the dallas calling the event itself i uh, hope that gave everyone an insight second time lucky on the recording yeah as i said at the start of the pod we we did already record this episode yesterday um so if you are a patron who gets the episode early unfortunately it won't be early this week Apologies for that. We did have to re-record, but I think it's uh, you know it's not quite it's not quite as good as our best episode, Brendan, which was the original, which people unfortunately won't get to hear. But you know we've we've done our best. <laughs> I love how you're just gonna tease people with that. This one was definitely better. Um, but anyway, speaking of Patreon, it's nice that you mentioned that. Yeah? We actually have Patreon, the Arsenal Pass Patreon, where we're you know you ever seen us walking around those events with those really cool mats? Well, we're actually selling them on Patreon, exclusive to patrons. Limited print run of eighty for now. We'll get more later. Trust me. Um, and two maximum order per person because they are selling at like hotcakes. I really apologize if by the time you hear this message, they are sold out. It is quite likely. But check it out if it's something you're interested in. Our Patreon has tons of extra content. Uh, most notably, if we have a deck tech up on the YouTube channel, if you go over to the Patreon, we got long, detailed deck guides, theory, ratios, spreadsheets, everything you need. Pick it up, be competitive, take it to nationals, be the national champion, you know, and give me a little credit. No, I'm kidding. Um, as well as exclusive pods and the once a month um, live Q&A podcast session, whatever the topic is chosen by the patrons. With that, I want to shout out the YouTube channel. Tons of stuff going up on YouTube. Like I said, Sasha Markovic, Time of the Round is coming up soon, as well as gameplay videos. Um, it's Reinhardt versus Chain, I believe. And then next week, of course, we got more gameplay, more content. Arsenal Pass YouTube is the place to be. On Twitter, we are, I'm located at Brendan APG. Hayden is located at Fyndale, F-Y-N underscore D-A-L-E. 
F-I-E-N. Well, make it easier, brother. Um, anyway, that's all for now. Um, I will see you in the next one, where hopefully I get introduced as calling champion Brendan Patrick and not multiple-time calling loser. But we hope you enjoyed the episode, and see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye.